Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football, with your host, John Bauer. Looking to sell everybody price dependent. Dan LaMagna. Too much dysfunction in Cleveland. And Mitch Sorensen. Well, it's hard to compete with excellence. Thank you for joining us for another live show, and welcome to Dynasty Theory. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter, at The Bauer Club. As always, I am joined by Dan LaMagna. That is at FF Coach Dan on Twitter. What's going on, Dan? Ready to go. It's go time. Let's let's bring it on, JB. Every time I type the show notes still, I still put at LC underscore Dean, just so you know. New Twitter handle. Stop doing that. I'm getting used to it. Don't worry. And of course, even in a new location, he is so committed to the show. We are joined by Mitch Sorensen, and that is at DinoMC. What's going on, Mitch? How's the, the temporary location treating you? It's great. I'm, I, I can actually say I'm in my dad's basement recording a podcast for fantasy football now. So, yeah, that's pretty good. I think that's typically what people think. Oh, hey. you have a fantasy football podcast. You're in your parents' basement. For the listeners, Mitch's wife did not kick him out of the house. This is all part of a larger plan. <laughs> that's what the story is anyways. I was just going to say, at least that's what he tells us. He doesn't want to embarrass himself too much. Now, before we get into the show tonight, remember, get your reviews in. Send us a screenshot, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's at Dynasty Theory FF. Send us a screenshot of your review. You'll be entered to win the autographed Saquon Barkley jersey. Now, guys, the combine was last week. We spent much of the show talking about what we were expecting, how it was going to impact draft capital in our upcoming rookie drafts. So, Dan, I have a question for you before we really get started. What stood out to you last week during the combine, and were there any real surprises for you? I'll start with the surprises. I wouldn't say there's any surprises. It's almost like a, a movie series, like the Rocky movies behind me. You know, I'm a little biased. I like everyone, but nothing really necessarily surprises you. It was the same thing with the combine. I mean, it was what we expected. The three of us have been saying all along that the combine is a tool. It's a piece. We're not going to overreact or underreact to anything that we see. So nothing really like was mind-blowing. But as I look at wide receiver numbers, they were off the charts. 40-yard dash times were off the charts. So Dynasty people are getting ready to draft and are looking at rookies. Wide receiver is deep. Tight end, as I'll mention later on, not so much. And I guess, you know, if you're in IDPs, I'll talk defense for one of the rare times on our show. Isaiah Simmons, he looks like the Julio Jones of defensive players. So if I'm in an IDP league, I'm going after that guy. Yeah, I'm still not. I didn't make that transition to IDP yet. I'm still focusing on one side of the ball, but maybe one day. And then Mitch, what is something you saw last week that, you know, with Dan, I said what surprised him. But for you, what reaffirmed your thoughts heading into the combine? So obviously, we all had preconceived notions, whether it was based on positions or results. What reaffirmed your thoughts? Yeah, as we talked about last week, I don't think the running back position changed much at all. I mean, you might move a guy one spot up or one spot down, but we're not going to see any really big movement there. But if you look at wide receivers, like Dan mentioned, we're going to see big movement there because 40 times actually matter for wide receivers. And the point is they just don't really matter for quarterbacks, don't really matter for tight ends. But for wide receivers, that stuff matters. So we're going to see a fair amount of movement there. So you're not adjusting any of your quarterback rankings based on 40 times? Well, actually one. We'll bring him up later, but I might bring one up. But it isn't solely for his 40 times. And I, he was dead last, but we'll get to that eventually. So you already kind of hinted at it the movement based on the combine results and whether or not it really should happen. We all do it to an extent. And I want to lead off the show by talking about 
our biggest rookie draft ADP riser. And Mitch, let's lead with you because you have an interesting wide receiver that some might call a tight end, but get us started here. Yeah, I think with Chase Claypool, we kind of expected him to maybe have to switch to tight end because we didn't know if he was going to be athletic enough to be a wide receiver. But he came in, and I think for anyone who's paying attention to last year's draft as well, it's almost exactly what happened with Hakeem Butler. We kind of knew with Butler coming into the draft that he was going to do very well in the combine. With Claypool, no one ever talked about him. wasn't even a big deal. But Claypool came in and put in a very impressive numbers. He was seventh in the 40 yard dash with a 4.2. He was 10th in the broad jump. And as we saw last year, the same thing's going to happen with Claypool. He's going to slowly creep up the draft boards now. And a big reason for that is people just love those 40 times with wide receivers. And how do you not like take him above some with Tyler Johnson right now? Tyler Johnson, we're so afraid of him of what his 40 time is that he wouldn't even run because he wants to wait for his pro day to hopefully raise it up by a couple hundredths of a second. But Claypool went out there and completely killed it. And I think at this point, especially in any rookie, any drafts right now that have rookies included, I think there's a good shot that we see Claypool end up going a lot higher than guys like Tyler Johnson and Brian Edwards. So you already talked about Hakeem Butler. When you look at the metrics and strictly based on combine results, Chase Claypool, his numbers were very similar to both Hakeem Butler and going a little further back, Devontae Parker, who eventually, obviously, he was a first-round draft pick and finally broke out here in year five. But is Chase Claypool going to be the guy? Obviously, going into last year's draft, Hakeem Butler, he was going in the first round of rookie drafts before the NFL draft, so we didn't know landing spots yet. But is Chase Claypool going to be that guy that's the Twitter darling? He has so much hype. Probably not a first-round pick. I would be absolutely shocked if he crept up that high. He was going at 502, according to DLF Superflex ADP. But he might be that guy that creeps up rankings, and then he gets drafted in the fourth or fifth round, and that's probably generous. What happens then? Yeah, that's you, a- you, you would have to think he creeps back down the draft board then. Right. That was the big thing with Hakeem Butler is he was going in middle of the first round. And you just can't do that. And so if you move him back to, if you were able to take him at the rookie pick in the third round, probably, you would still love the pick today, even though he didn't play it all last year. So I think it's perfectly fine that if you take Claypool and he doesn't even pan out, but you're taking that upside the beginning of the third round, I think it's a pretty smart move. And that seems to be what we're seeing. And we have a few guys here. We have uh, Bill and James talking in the chat, talking about some recent, ADP in the mock drafts and we're seeing some results in Claypool. He is going in the third round and he was in the fifth round firmly planted prior to the combine. So he's one guy whose stock is going to rise significantly and we don't have him on our list, but James here in the chat, he mentioned that the general consensus, it looks like the 101 in non-superflex is going from Swift to Jonathan Taylor. And I don't think that's going to surprise anybody based on the results and the comparison that we've seen time and time again since the combine to Saquon Barkley's numbers. Mm -hmm. I would be shocked to see a draft that did not have Jonathan Taylor over DeAndre Swift at this point. Yeah, Taylor's stock's rising fast. Uh, You know, we heard Ray Garvin on our show talking about Swift a few weeks ago, and then he started, as he did more research, Shifted more towards Taylor. I know J.J. Zacharyson, another upcoming guest on our shows on the t- Taylor train. And 
myself, even being a University of Georgia fan, there's been something that just hasn't been clicking with me with DeAndre Swift compared to other past Georgia backs. So I like Swift, but I also have Taylor right now creeping ahead in my my rankings. Now, this might be another guy that we talked about him maybe going the 108, 109 range in Superflex drafts. Bill, a.k.a. Super Dupa Flex here in the chat, he said – Herbert went 104 in one of his mocks. Now, I for me, that's a little bit too high. Mitch, what are your thoughts there? It's high, but I really like to see it because it sounds like the people in that draft are actually basing off kind of what they see. Because the one thing in super flex mock drafts that you see a lot is that third quarterback's going to slide down a bit because no one's really building for a real team. So it sounds like the people in that draft are actually building the right way. And actually, I don't mind Herbert at 104 if you're going to be in need of a quarterback and you're going to be able to get a starting quarterback at that point. Right, and especially if it's a 14 or 16-team league. I'm assuming it was a 12-team mock, but you're definitely going to see that value rise the deeper and larger the league. And he also said that Claypool just went 212 in the mock that he's in. And that does not surprise me based on these combine results. And it's one of the reasons we brought him up as one of the biggest ADP risers. And hopefully it pans out for him, but we're seeing a lot of people say, the guy's got to switch to tight end based on his measurables and they think he'd be more effective in that position. So it's going to be interesting to see how he's used in the NFL. And if he's transitioned over to tight end at all. Yeah. That concerns me that tight end talk, you know, when you get guys that you're not quite even sure where they're playing, how does that translate to the NFL? And he wasn't a guy really on my radar of top 10 wide receivers going into this. And, you know, as Mitch says, you know, it, it, maybe puts him on the radar. If you're looking at him in that third round, he definitely wasn't in third round conversation before the combine, uh, but I'd at least be looking at him third, fourth round. Mm -hmm. And again, based on recent results, you're going to be very lucky to get him right now in the fourth round of a, you know, of a rookie draft or even a mock. But as time progresses and the NFL draft takes place, he's going to slip into the fourth, fifth round, probably his stock's going to drop a little bit because again, we talk about it all the time. Once these running backs and wide receivers get into the fourth round of the NFL draft, and Mitch, you brought up Hakeem Butler, who's a perfect comp in terms of measurables and combine results. It really hurts your stock from a dynasty fantasy football perspective once you get taken in the fourth round or later. That's going to be the problem with Claypool, is if he's bumping up into that back end of the second round of the rookie draft, you don't touch him there because he hasn't. I don't even think he has a breakout age, to be honest with you. I didn't see anything, and I, I looked at multiple sources. And his senior stats were fine. He wasn't good as a sophomore. He wasn't good as a junior. So just going off because he you know, ran a pretty good 40, I think. It's probably going to be overdrafted, but I'd be okay with it middle of the third. I'm not okay with it at the back end of the second. You can still get some really good players there this year. Right, in his height and weight, that four four two forty, and I think I didn't want to correct you, but I'm just going to throw it out there now. I think you slipped up and said a four two forty. If he ran a four two forty, Twitter actually would have blown up. But yeah, even four four two, it was still pretty close to that point. So again, Chase Claypool, he was going at five oh two in Superflex mocks. His stock has shot up early third, late second. He's going to be somebody that's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on once the NFL draft takes place now dan i think we all can agree that chase claypool he is a big riser in adp your guy throw him out there because we might have a little bit of a debate here on your guy hey we love debate especially at wide receiver right mitch yes we do 
Man, you know, Mayan here, hey, for those watching at YouTube, in honor of his dad, Michael Pittman, I'm going to flex. He had a lot bigger time, guns time, than, than time, I have. Time, time out. What? You've been talking for about 17 seconds about Michael Pittman. I have a message that I could pull up here in a second to Mitch. I said, how much money do you want to put down that Dan brings up the legacy and Michael Pittman's dad? It took <laughs> 17 seconds. So, Mitch, good. we'll figure out, but you owe me something there. All right, Dan, All right. sorry. Keep going. Hey, I, I love the NFL genes. You know, dad, former fourth round NFL draft pick out of Fresno State with David Carr, uh, you know, drafted by Arizona, played with Tampa Bay and Denver, 100 yard rusher in the Super Bowl, you know, best season, 751 yards rushing, 597 receiving. It just takes me back a little bit, you know, not, not as big as a prospect like a Christian McCaffrey, but I just think when you have those NFL genes along with game film and talent to go with it, and then you go and put pull out a nice combine, and I'm going to just go over like old school coach here, okay, when I used to coach these semi-pro teams and look at the stats that forget I know anything about these guys. I look at Pittman, and I love his size. Let me pull up to my Michael Pittman page here. Six foot four, 223 pounds. Cranks out a 4'5", 240, which is very good for his size. What really pops and stands out with me is his agility. He goes and runs a three-cone drill of 414 and a three-cone of – sorry, it's short shuttle 414. I'm not sure what I said there. I'm so excited here about Michael Pittman. 6'9", 6 in the three-cone. That tops the Jerry Judys of the world with his agility. Like, this kid could move – I love this film at USC. I see where that agility comes in and where he was, you know, a DLF 2.10, you know, average draft position. Guys, I'm considering him at the back end of round one right now, kicking it around, maybe the beginning of round two, depending on, you know, where studies take us between now and draft time. But, you know, I'm putting him up above. You look at this list that JB is showing us here. You know, Mitch, I'm going to give you kudos. You were right on Je Justin Jefferson, our last show. If anyone didn't listen to that, Mitch had a great take on JJ there. And then his combine took off, so his stock is rising. But I'm putting Pittman ahead of these other receivers here, okay? Uh, Tyler Johnson, way ahead of him. I don't like Tyler Johnson's film. We talked about that last week. Brian Edwards, forget about it. Henry Ruggs, I, you know, they're in that same conversation. I might have hug Ruggs even a little bit higher too, but there's some guys in that first round that I don't think should be there. Um, T Higgins. I'm a little bit more of a beginning of the second round feeling. Um, some of those running backs acres. If he can't pass protect, we talked about him last show. How long are you going to wait on that? I know there's a lot of hype on rigor going into the combine, but I personally like Pittman better. So that's just a little bit of my take on why he's a riser. So you're okay taking him right now. As we sit here on March 2nd, 2020, you're okay taking him the back or the back end of the first round of super flex rookie drafts here. Yeah, I know you know Mitch has been getting on me to update my rankings. And you know, I'm I'm a little bit behind you guys because I'm I like to just do my studying and geek out a little bit and watch some film and all that good stuff. Last show we talked about LaVisca Chanel, who I still do like, but I do recognize his stock dropped a little bit with that procedure. You know, Mitch was again in the in the wide receiver zone last week with his injury history. Um so I'll put Pittman ahead of him, and I'm looking, you know, where does Herbert fall? Maybe Love if you're looking quarterback. But I'm looking C.D. Lamb 7, Ruggs 8, Jefferson 9, and then I'm starting to consider Pittman. At this time, a lot could change between now and the draft. 
Now, one thing I will say, and once I pulled up that ADP and I threw it up on the screen here and I was going through it earlier today, I don't know if I'm ready to put him in the back end of the first in super flex drafts, but beginning of the second, I actually, the more I thought about this, Dan, the more I was okay with it. And then you look strictly at combine results and some comparisons here. And again, this is strictly based on combine results. So this is not about playing style. It's not about college production. Kenny Galladay, Cortland Sutton, Michael Thomas. That is a really nice list. So you look at those guys, they're 6'3 to 6'4, all a little bit smaller in terms of weight, 212 to 218. The 40 time, very similar. The bench press, that's the only thing that Pittman, he came in at 13 reps. All the other guys were at 18. But everything else, broad jump, three cone, shuttle, vertical, they're all very similar to those guys. And again, that's like a who's who of up and coming and established wide receivers. So am I okay moving Michael Pittman up ahead of 210? Absolutely. First round, I'm still going to take Cam Akers over him. I know I brought up Cam Akers last week and you guys were getting on me because I didn't have a take. The combine results, they really were in his favor. So I don't want to say he's a big riser because he was already going at 110, but I think he cemented himself at me or for me at running back four, bare minimum, maybe running back three. I don't like that J.K. Dobbins didn't participate in these events. And when you look at straight perceived value and whether or not they should actually be going there, but the perceived value, I do think Michael Pittman rises. But Mitch, I think you were a little bit more skeptical than I was here once Dan said, Michael Pittman's my big riser this week. Yeah, my biggest issue is there's just 20 guys that I just easily like more than him. I can't move him over T. Higgins at this point. You know, Benjamin is still higher than him for me. We'd even mention Jalen Rager. There's just a lot of guys, especially in Superflex. In Superflex, I think that I'm going to have at least four quarterbacks go ahead. And there's a chance for a fifth one to jump up there as well. And I just don't see ever taking Pittman over a quarterback. And so that's going to drop him down just that much more as well. I, one thing that strikes me with Pittman is... First of all, like, you know, we're looking at stats and how he compared to other guys. You know, I didn't think there was a lot of guys that were really fluctuating for like huge risers or, you know, there were obviously a few guys we talked about. But with JB, when you really crunched a lot of data like you did this week at the different positions and were able to give comps to Galladay, Sutton, Thomas, I mean, that's something no one's talking about. I mean, they are very strikingly similar measurables there. And I just think when you have a dad who played in the NFL, to go back to this a little bit, what an advantage that is to prepare. You know, you see a lot of rookies in that year one, it takes them a little bit longer to adapt. Sometimes they don't really come into their own into year two. But when you have that tutelage to say, hey, this is how you prepare. This is what you need to be, you know, concerned about and, and looking for. I think it gives them a little bit of an edge. And I just think he's off the radar now, had a solid combine tested in practically everything where a lot of guys weren't testing. I just feel like he's ahead and I'm looking forward to seeing what he could do. And we have a comment here and it really lines up well with what Mitch and I had been preaching since last April, especially in startups, but even rookie drafts. And I think there's a little more depth in this class than people want to give it credit for, but we have a comment from James. Thankfully you won't have to, I'm assuming take him early in the second end of the first trade back, get some equity, get your guy. So that's probably, it's fantastic advice. And again, we talk about it in startups, especially, but if you do feel that confidently in Michael Pittman, you might have to go a little bit higher, maybe middle of the second, but if you have a back end of the first pick, 
if you don't want to pull the trigger there and you can gain extra equity, maybe you get an extra 2021 second or something thrown in to move back six picks. That might be a perfect opportunity there. And I think that's fantastic insight there and a great comment provided by James. So Michael Pittman, definitely somebody that I think can rise here, especially in perceived value. But again, it's going to come down to draft capital for me and where he actually goes here in April in the NFL draft. But Mitch, you still have plenty of guys ahead of Michael Pittman, especially in Superflex. You think 210, that's probably accurate still for you? I have him 208. He he went up a couple, but it's more because I dropped down Tyler Johnson. I dropped down Chenault more so than him actually moving up ahead of those guys. Okay. And as you guys know, you each gave one guy that you have as a riser, one guy as a faller. I have about 37 guys here, but maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration. But my riser, right? And I'm not going to go into significant detail here, but this is based on perceived value. It's what I'm seeing in chats, it's what I'm seeing on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram. So, Justin Jefferson, he was going at 204. Let me throw up my chart here again, just so the viewers can see. Justin Jefferson, 204. Denzel Mims, 306. Donovan Peoples-Jones, who checked every box at the Combine, 311. Antonio Gibson, I had a tweet about him probably you know a few weeks ago talking about his skill set, maybe the Baltimore Ravens if he goes there later in the draft. But he was going 412. And Albert O, I don't want to butcher his last name in front of the viewers or on our feed. So I'm just going to say Albert O, but he was going at 405. So whether or not these guys should be risers, Based on perceived value alone, you're going to have to pull the trigger a hell of a lot earlier in your rookie mocks or your actual rookie drafts here than you would have two weeks ago. Do you guys have any quick hitting thoughts there on those guys? Mitch, I you were complaining to me about some of the guys I listed. I don't know if it was in this list or not. No, it's actually in the next list. But Justin Jefferson is going to be a top 10 pick in rookie drafts. That's something that we should just slot in now and be okay with it moving forward because there's no one that's really going to rise above him. He's going to be the wide receiver three in this class. And you said that last week, and I actually I said you were crazy. But looking at some of our co-owned leagues that you are, you and I are in, we have the 107 and 108, and we need wide receiver help in those leagues. I actually might be okay taking Justin Jefferson, especially if we get a prime landing spot. We, the skill is there. He tested very well. The college production was there. Now, if we get a good landing spot, we put all of it together. I think I'm okay taking him at 107, 108, especially if I have a, a wide receiver needy team. And Dan, do you have any thoughts on those five guys before we move ahead to the uh, ADP followers here? I agree with Justin Jefferson. You know, whenever the game film and the combine results match the production, he's got a lot going for him there. And I think somewhere in a group chat, Mitch, you mentioned A.J. Dillon at some point, and his stock is rising. He's, he's moving up the running back, running back ranks for me, so I'll be keeping an eye on him. I actually put him in here, or at least I thought I was going to put him in here, but clearly I did not. And then Cam Akers for me as well. I didn't want to include any first-rounders because there's only so much room, but if we're going to get really ticky-tacky here, Jonathan Taylor, he's going to be a big riser because I think not so much in the number of spots, but like was already mentioned by – Bill earlier in the chat, it's going to be somebody that is most likely in a majority of the leagues and be taken 101 when a week ago, DeAndre Swift was one of the big guys that people really wanted in that spot. So those are some guys that we're talking about as the big ADP risers. If you have them in a Devi league, you're already invested. You saw a nice little spike in value. 
And now if you are in an upcoming rookie draft, you're going to have to invest a little bit earlier than you might have pre-combine. But now on the other hand, let's talk about some of the big ADP fallers. And Dan, let's start with you because we didn't talk about tight ends at all last week. And it's I'm glad that you want to bring one up because it's a very interesting discussion and debate, especially when you look at it compared to tight ends from the past few years. So who do you have here as a big ADP faller? Yeah, I thought it was a good opportunity for us to bring up tight ends on the show because they're not getting talked about too much. So when going into this combine and, you know, if you're in a dynasty league and your tight end position's weak and you're hoping that maybe you're going to find a gem in this year's draft, I wanted to bring up that I don't think you're going to unless you get lucky, very, very lucky. Um, Cole Komet was the big name being talked about out of Notre Dame where Mel Kuyper, for one, you know, doing all his research and saying, hey, his overall game, here's a guy that could slide into the first round, depending on how his combine is. So same thing. I'm going old school coach here and just looking at the numbers. And when I look at Komet, I'm, you know, 4740, it's average. I mean, we see a lot of tight ends. JB, you did a lot of tight end research of years past. You know, you can make a case that that's commensurable. As long but, as you're, as long as you're coming in better than four eight, four seven nine, I believe was Mark Andrews. So that's kind of the threshold. Obviously, every player is a little bit different. But once you hit four eight over the last five years in the combine results, no tight end has really had a productive season. So four seven still falls within that threshold. But yeah, Dan, it's not great. And that's where at first I was like, all right, not excited about the time but looking at the research you did I was like okay he still falls in the category where maybe that's okay but when I got to agility he falls off dramatically now I don't even know why he didn't do the bench pass that that's a little concerning because just most tight ends did do a bench so you know is there a strength issue you know we know he's only you know a junior he's got 60 receptions in three years so there's not a lot of you know production there uh, but his overall game would give you hope but then when I look at his Agilities and his, his short shuttle was four four one, and the three cone was seven four four. Comparing that to Mark Andrews, Austin Hooper, a Foster Moreau, who's a guy we've talked about in the past that we like a little bit, Hawkinson, O.J. Howard, Noah Fant, Hayden Hurst, George Kittle, Najuko, Irv Smith, all these young upcoming tight ends. He's not even in the ballpark, and this is the guy that's supposed to be the potential number one with only opportunity of maybe slide into the first round. I think that's out the window after the combine. And I just, you know, tight ends take longer to develop. And this kid obviously has some limitations in athleticisms, looking at those agility drills, vertical jump and a broad jump. We're up. We're okay. Uh, but if that's the best tight end on the board, I'm greatly concerned. And looking at some other tight ends, you know, that were also top 10 rankings, none of their measurables really impressed me. So tight ends are concerned guys. So if you look at the ADP, and I threw it up on the screen here, Cole Komet at 309 in Superflex mocks, he's actually your tight end one. So every year, whether it's Evan Ingram, TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, last year's class is, you know, obviously Ingram wasn't last year, but Fant and Hawkinson, they were highly touted and people were so excited. And I think there's definitely room to grow, obviously, but those are guys that are still highly sought after prospects. Cole Komet at 309, it leaves a lot to be desired. So we look at some of the other tight ends, Hunter Bryant at 404, Albert, uh, Alberto at tight end uh, <laughs> three. He was going at 405, Hopkins at 406, and then Adam Troutman at 501. So I think a few of those guys, they could see a spike in value, especially perceived value. 
but we talk about comps and we talk about the results of the combine. We go back over the last five years, Cole Komet, he actually tested very closely and similarly to Ricky Seals Jones. Definitely a little bit heavier, 19 pounds over what Seals Jones came in at. The 40 time was almost identical. The broad jump, very similar, close together here. So there were some off the field things with Ricky Seals Jones that were concerned. So maybe that's one of the reasons that he was pushed down. But the prospects over the last five years, based on measurables alone, are not boding well for Cole Komet. So I am perfectly fine with having him. Not so much. I, I still think he cracks maybe the bottom half of the third, early fourth in super flex drafts. But when you look at him compared to other tight ends, I would be shocked, absolutely shocked to see him go tight end one in this class with the way some of these guys tested at the combine. Mitch, what are your thoughts here? Maybe on Komet or the tight end position as a whole. Don't draft rookie tight ends. <laughs> we'll make it that easy. Go back to last year. We had the prospects that we wanted to come out for the last five years. We had Hawkinson, who was the best guy to come out since Gronk. We had Noah Fant come out. If you go into any Dynasty League, you could buy them in any Dynasty League for a reasonable price right now. Evan Ingram was the last tight end that we had that blew up as a rookie. He did awesome. He's easily attainable now. You have to pay his price, but he's not hard to go out and trade for. Well, he's a little bit different because the injury history... Not so much as production, but I see what you're saying. You can fade tight end their rookie season. Typically, I mean, I'm seeing people acquire Noah Fant in tight end premium leagues for a second round pick here. Yeah, th there's no reason to go out and buy him. Someone else can bite that bullet. You could buy him a year later or just go get someone else because so far in the last, you know, take Kittle out of it because Kittle's Kittle. But who in the last three years do we really care about as a tight end that's came out? Give them time. I think they will progress. Like we've talked about well, Hawkins they will. and Fant. But there's a whole bunch of wide receivers who've already turned out at that point. You were so, so if Hawkinson over AJ Brown last year, it's just silly, right? But and again, that was because of the landing spot, and we talked about learning our lesson there with a, you know players that go to a less than ideal landing spot. But that's a topic for another day. But if you're telling me in the fourth round you wouldn't take a tight end this year, even if somebody slips that you have your eye on and the landing spot was okay, you're still going to pass in the fourth round. I'd rather get someone like Gardner Minshew who was available in the fourth round last year. Okay. And, and I'm kind of in, the, in between both you guys, but maybe a little bit more towards Mitch. I apologize, JB. But if we do go back to last year, and you guys drafted probably 40 dynasty teams to my 10, all right? But I think it was Jay Sternberger last year that was kind of like the sleeper. you know. So if you yeah. passed on Hawkinson and Irv Smith and, and the, the, the top names, you got Jace, I believe, around the fourth round. It was late. This year's top guy, I think, is worse than Jace. And this offensive draft is much deeper than a year ago. I mean, when you look at the plethora of wide receivers, you still have the quarterbacks. You know, there's enough running backs there. You know, I'll, I'll take maybe if someone does get a good landing spot, maybe in the fourth round if I need a tight end. But you won't see me take anyone in the third, that's for sure. There's some guys that I like as a flyer. And if I accumulated multiple thirds, Depending on landing spot, I might jump him up a little bit more. But Albert O, just and I know we last week we value talked value depending, right, 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 value dependent. And last week we stressed to the listeners and we talked up, don't drastically change your rankings or your values based on combine results. And when Albert O ran that four whatever, uh, four four or something, four five whatever it was, 
I was like, holy crap. He, he's my 101 in tight end premium leagues. All right, Dan, you're giving me a timeout. Over to you. <laughs> I, I think I get one timeout per show. Isn't that, isn't that podcast rules? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. We'll give you one, but don't pull a Chris Weber and call a second. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, so Alberto, 6'5", 258, excites everybody with this 449 combine or 40. Get it. Like that. His stock rises, sure. But outside of that, you know, putting my dynasty GM hat on that we talked about, if you're looking for guys that might excel in the NFL, there's a part of the coach in me that he skipped everything else on the combine. He didn't do a bench. He didn't do it for any jumps. He didn't do any shuttle runs. I still have a lot of questions on this guy. I mean, if, if I'm a true competitor, I am competing at the combine. I understand there's a business side of it, and maybe strategically you're waiting on something for your pro day. But this guy waits on everything to his pro day, and I think he's a guy that has a lot to prove. So I just want to settle down the Albert O hype just, just a little bit. Granted, he didn't take part in some of the drills. And like I said, that's one of the reasons that I'm a little bit worried. Maybe not worried is the right word, but J.K. Dobbins might have slipped past Cam Akers for me because he didn't take part in anything. But I had a tweet here a couple days ago, and I said there's five tight ends. And it's not just based on combine results, but actual production at the college level that I have my eye on. And especially if they're slipping to the fourth or fifth round, I'm going to pull the trigger. But it's Adam Troutman, Bryson Hopkins. I'm going to attempt to say this. Charlie Tomapo, I think that's close enough. Hunter Bryant, definitely not Harrison. And then Albert O. Those five guys I have my eye on, but it is not strictly based off of combine results. They produced in college at a higher level than some of these other guys. Even if they tested well, I want to see some college production, especially the tight end position, because we see these guys, they come in, solid athletes, but maybe they're in there for more of the running game and actually blocking as opposed to the passing game. I'd much rather have a guy like Evan Ingram, like we talked about earlier, who can't block for crap, but he's actually effective and used in the passing game. And I think even though he didn't test in anything else, maybe that's something that we see from a guy like Alberto. One more deep thought that you will only find on the Dynasty Theory podcast. And I don't know what you guys think about this, but you know, we're looking at immediate production in our rookie drafts, hoping find guys that are going to produce right away. And then it's also Dynasty. We're looking long-term potential. Does it bother you guys a little bit when two examples here? One I'll say like a Jerry Judy or a DeAndre Swift. Bowl game time, they're both getting ready for the NFL Combine. I listened to an interview with Judy today where he says, you know what, it's in me to compete. I wanted to be out there with my guys no matter what. And he rips 200 yards in a bowl game and shows his character. To me, that's a guy that's going to be out there competing for our fantasy football teams down the road. Where Swift is like, I'm going to see how the game goes here versus Baylor. Maybe I'll come in. Maybe I come out. Uh, you know, to me, that rubs me the wrong way a little bit. And it's the same thing at this combine. Albert O decides to skip every jump, every bench press, everything he has, while Michael Pittman's out there repping everything, saying, hey, I'm ready to go. Your thoughts? If you do something to increase your value like Albert O did, and I don't know, maybe he came in thinking I'm only going to do the 40, but even if he didn't, if I pop off for that 449 and I say that's my moneymaker, there's no reason for him to show off anymore because his stock already increased. You talk about DeAndre Swift, and we talk about these other players that don't participate. And even uh, Bryce Love a few years ago, when he was it was his junior year, I think he, he didn't play. It was against my Pitt Panthers in the Mattress Firm Bowl game or something. It was something really, really low. But it's a business decision, and I, I think Mitch is going to agree because I fall in the middle between you two. Mitch is very pro get your money, and Dan, you're all about the love of the game, and you have that old-school approach, which I appreciate. 
But if this is, it's a business, if there's the risk of injury and it's going to blow up their stock, I mean, look at uh, Jake Butt coming out a few years ago. He had to get insurance because he knew he was going to slip down the draft boards because he was injured prior to the NFL draft. You know, his, I don't know if it was his senior year, but he was injured. It's a business decision. So for me, I'm okay with it. If you're going to help my fantasy team, you can sit out as many games as you want in college. See, when I get to it, the bowl games, I understand the guys wanting to sit out there. There's some freak injuries can happen in a bowl game. You could slip. But as far as the combine goes, I completely agree with you, Dan. If you're not there to compete, what are you there for? You're running a 40. You're doing a shuttle drill. You're seeing how far you could jump. If you can't do that and you're worried about getting injured, I understand for someone like Chase Young, you're going to be the number two pick in the draft, if not the number one. I understand you not going out there and competing. But you get someone like Tyler Johnson, who just doesn't do it at all, or like you brought up earlier, J.K. Dobbins. I'm just not going to draft him. I'll still keep him on my board in case for some reason they fall to a really low point, but there's no way I'm going to draft them at cost because I don't trust them as competitors at this point. See, for me, that's different though. I don't see it as a sense of competition. I see it as a huge red flag. What are they hiding? And that's my concern with a Tyler Johnson, with a J.K. Dobbins. You have all these other high-end running backs giving it their all out there. Why is J.K. Dobbins sitting out? And I know we've seen enough college production from him to know he's a really good back. But again, in my rankings, and I know JK, if he's listening to this, I'm sure he is. Why wouldn't he be listening to Dynasty Theory? He's probably thinking, man, I upset JB. I don't want to drop down his rankings. Well, guess what? You did. Okay. So you look at guys like Cam Akers, who really showed out. He moved up my board, and it's not significant. So I'm not going to include him in my followers, but JK might go from three to four for me. But yeah, it's the red flag more so that what are they hiding? as opposed to, oh, this guy's not a competitor. We talk about Tyler Johnson. I don't know what the hell he's doing. I definitely agree with that. What are they hiding part? Tyler Johnson, great example. One last thought on J.K. Dobbins, though, is he has that serious ankle injury in the bowl game. Did that cut into his training time a little bit where he needs just a little bit more time to put up the numbers? He knows he's he can. So I'd be maybe a little less apprehensive that he's hiding something versus a Tyler Johnson that just, what are you doing? And that's a great point because I'm sorry, Matt, I'm going to talk about your boy here. So you might like this, but Zach Moss, he's a competitor. And I think he was even told, they suggested, Hey, you tweaked your, was it the hamstring in the vertical? I think it was the hamstring, yeah. Don't run the 40. And guess what? He said, I'm going out there. I'm going to run the 40. Now he still has his pro day, but he's a guy on the flip side. He's a competitor. He wanted to show what he had. But now, at least in the dynasty community, I'm sure it's not going to impact his draft stock too much because you know, hopefully they would take that into account, but we're sitting here thinking, Oh, I think I might have to bump him down. Now, if he showed out during the 40 and he ran what Mitch expected, Mitch thought Zach Moss was going to run a two seven, I think, or something around there. But, (laughs) but if Zach Moss showed out, his dynasty stock was going to skyrocket. And now we're like, eh, two Oh six. That's your super flex DLF ADP. Maybe that's okay. See, I was spoiled as a Lions fan. We drafted Calvin Johnson, who wasn't going to participate in the combine at all. And we all know the story. He got so competitive that he took someone else's shoes and ran the 4-3-9, I believe, or 4-4-0, pretty close. And side note, the sad thing is that competitive guy retired on the Lions early because the Lions are that terrible as a franchise. But didn't you retire early from the Lions if you got paid? Everybody does. I mean, Barry Sanders did the same thing. He's like, no, I'm good, guys. I'm not playing anymore. How did you get into the Lions? Because you're not you're not from Detroit. 
Barry Sanders, Super Tech Mobile. It might have been Tech Mobile, but I'm pretty sure it was set Super Tech Mobile. Okay. Okay. I remember back in the day, and we're getting sidetracked here, but on I think Madden like 97 or something on Sega, Scott Mitchell, Brett Perryman. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure maybe Sanders was still on that team there, but yeah, I, I always picked the Lions, even though they were absolute trash. But I, I did enjoy some. And Herman Moore. Herman, Herman Moore, Moore was out Herman there. Moore. So there's some names. And, and Dan, the old school guy in you, I'm sure you appreciate this blast. He can name everybody on every team. <laughs> yeah, Dan will pull up the Wikipedia page back to the 1949, uh, I don't know, Iowa Steamrollers or something. Hey, I, I used to geek out back in the day, like, you know, late high school, early college, because, you know, we didn't have software like we did now. So you had to do all the stats by hand. So oh, I right. would, I would able to, I would name every major league baseball roster and NFL roster by hand because I was the commissioner and I would do the stats. So there's some truth behind that. Yeah, Dan was playing Oregon Trail there on the floppy disk still back in <laughs> 1991. That long ago. Right, right. All right, so anyway, we got sidetracked there a little bit. But Cole Komet, tight ends, guys that you want to have your eye on here. If they slip, sure, I'm still okay with it. But the tight end class definitely temper your expectations because we definitely don't have the prospects that we've seen in recent years here and then mitch you have a quarterback here for us and i mean maybe it was because of his 40 time could have been but no it was really because he did exactly what we expected him to do it was jake Fromm. he came in we haven't heard a lot about the team meetings and how everyone did in there yet but we have heard jalen hurts was awesome in the team meetings and he looked really good throwing the ball and that was one thing people worry about his accuracy those on the field drills looked fine and so right now you have Tua, Burrow, Love, Herbert, and then at right, least... I, I just threw the ADP back on the screen here. So right, then you have at least Hertz over from, and probably Eason. At that point, you have six guys over from, and there's just, there's not that many spots in the league. And so the reason why I looked at you is because I was thinking he's going to be the next Eason stick. He's going to be a guy that gets overdrafted because, hey, you know, Maybe he'll take over for Philip Rivers, but yep. more than likely he'll never do anything in the league. And he'll be a guy who gets some starts if an injury happens. But other than that, he's never going to be worth owning on your dynasty teams. And I'm laughing to myself right now because you mentioned Easton stick. And I remember our rookie episode last season and I brought him up and I said, do you think there's any way that he takes over for Philip Rivers? And like you often do, you looked at me like, what the hell are you talking about? And I, I, here a year later, you're definitely spot on. I don't see Easton Stick being anything in the NFL. And I think Jake Fromm actually could be a really good comparison just from being a little overdrafted. He's probably still going to go in the second, maybe, of the NFL draft. Do you think? Yeah, I bet he goes in the third. I don't think, think there's third? any way he goes in the second now. Okay. And definitely third round, There's he's not going to be on my radar at all. Dan, do you have any thoughts here? I think we all can agree that Jake Fromm, I don't even know if we were really excited about him pre-combine, certainly not post-combine. Yeah, again, Georgia fan here. So I watched a lot of from and, you know, I, I think he's a competitive college quarterback, but I'm not excited about the prospects of the NFL. We talked about hand size being a concern last week. And, you know, some of the guys that Mitch brought up that showed out at the combine are guys that I think are going ahead of from now. You know, Easton, we talked about NFL genes. I'm going to age myself again, but his dad, Tony Easton, was a very good quarterback of the Patriots. So I'm sure he's a well-coached kid with some skills. And Jalen Hurts is really impressive. His athleticism, again, depending where he goes, what system, uh, a coach could do a lot and be creative with him. So spot on, Mitch. 
And I don't think there's much more to say here about Jake Fromm, but he was going 301 in Superflex ADP and mocks here in February prior to the combine. I would be shocked. And some of the guys in the chat here, you've done recent mocks. If you have where he's actually gone in some of your mocks, throw it in the chat here because I haven't done any mocks. So I don't know, but I would be shocked if he's going even close to that 301. So tight ends, we're fading them, especially Cole Komet. He was going to be the tight end one in this class at 309, which is crazy to think about. Falling down our boards a little bit. Jake Fromm, no longer 301. He's falling down our boards. I have four guys here, and this is strictly based on perceived value. LaVisca Chenault, he was 201. Brian Edwards, he was 205. Zach Moss, 206. But he's going to have a chance to redeem himself because if he comes out at his pro day and he shows out, that's going to bounce back very quickly because, it, again, his 40 time, it's going to reflect a little drop, but he has a reason he tweaked his hamstring in the vertical. And then Tyler Johnson, he was going 208. I want absolutely nothing to do with him. And we have a comment here. Eason just went 301 in a mock. No from yet. So right there off the bat, he's slipping in his dynasty value and most likely his actual draft capital. So those are some guys that we wanted to hit on. And as we always do, we always say, oh, you know, we're going to try to keep this show short. 46 minutes in, but we still have a whole other topic to talk about. So during last week, and I threw up a little fancy graphic here, shout out to my sister who actually prepares these graphics much better than the ones that I was putting together that were basically stick figures with some drawn on football. But there were a lot of press conferences last week. And first of all, I want to thank Garrett Price over at Dynasty Nerds because he took a ton of great videos and pictures. He shared them on Twitter. I reached out to him. And he gave me permission to throw a few into this live stream here. So again, thank you, Garrett, if you're listening. First up, Ron Rivera. He was asked a question about Dwayne Haskins. So without further ado, let me see if my tech skills are up to speed here. Haskins so far, and what do you want him to work on? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, Dwayne's done is he's been around. I mean, uh, you know, he's in the building. He'll pop by, say, say hello and wave at you, go get his workout in. Uh, he's been around a, a group of, uh, of, of guys that do that. And so he's learning from their example. Um, and one of the things that he and I talked about specifically, that he just continued to, to, to grow as, as a young man, as a person. So this is coach speak at its finest. Does what Ron Rivera said right there at last week's press conference scream support and belief in that quarterback. Hey, he shows up. Okay. And that's exactly what Cliff Kingsbury, if you remember, said about Josh Rosen last year before the NFL draft. He shows up. He's the first one at, at the gym. He's the last one out. He has a great attitude. He's being a real professional, but he's going to be re replaced here in April. Just like Ron Rivera said, he shows up. He's there. It doesn't scream a whole lot of confidence. So are we buying into... I don't even know if I want to say buying into because Ron Rivera didn't show a lot of support there for Dwayne Haskins, but do we believe that Dwayne Haskins is going to be the quarterback for the Redskins in 2020 and beyond? And we talked about the Redskins a few weeks ago, and I actually said that Dwayne Haskins, I thought he was going to be the guy in 2020. Dan, has your mind changed at all? Or, you know, has Ron Rivera's press conference from last week swayed you one way or the other? 
It definitely hasn't swayed me. I think it's consistent of what we've talked about on past shows. You know, his quote of hoping he continues to grow as a young man in person is consistent with, you know, his body language on the sidelines last year with some of the rumors of entitlement that he had in that building. Real quick, um, I want to I jump in because you were spot on when we talked about the Redskins. And this is probably, hell, a month and a half ago or so. But once Rivera headed to Washington to be the coach, you you said his body language, people had a perception about him, that he was pouting on the sideline. So exactly what you said a month, month and a half ago, it's kind of what Ron Rivera is speaking of here in his combine press conference. So I give you a little round of applause, Dan. Hey, Mitch can't be the only one to be right all the time, but uh, <laughs> I, I think the Redskins have a you know like a quarterback conundrum right now, and they know they need to get this right. And you know he's hedging his butt bets a little bit there. He's you know obviously trying to help out a young quarterback. There is tools, you know. Mitch talked about in a previous show, but you know he is young, you know, and he only had so much experience at the college level, so he's still developing. My issue has been with the Redskins is. You know, my classification of a dysfunctional organization, I need something to be proven to me different before I would go down that road with Haskins. You know, on the flip side, just not to be biased and not try to just see this through one lens. You know, I, I hear Daniel Snyder's been embarrassed and he'll do anything to change what's been happening over this long period of time in Washington. I mean, we're, we're decades before this organization's been relevant, um, you know. You look at Haskins' body language and mannerisms, it wasn't much different from Jay Gruden. You know, the coach's body language at press conference and his comments didn't really motivate me. So he brings in Ron Rivera, who I have a lot of respect for. The NFL has a lot of respect for Rivera. If anyone could get it right, you know, hopefully it could be Riverboat Ron. He's been given full control. He's not going to put up with the dysfunction. The question is, does he have the support from the Redskins organization and have the talent around him to get this right? But I think our team hedging their bets right now. It's could Alex Smith come back and, and compete and, you know, raise the bar for Haskins, buy him time until Haskins is ready, or we're hearing the Tua rumors, what direction do they go in? So I'm selling on Haskins, but I'm going to wait and see what Ron Rivera does. Mitch, we talked about, Tua being the guy that potentially should go above Joe Burrow when we look at the Bengals. Do you think there's any chance that the Redskins take Tua? Less than zero. The, the, I think we need to stop comparing. It's going to happen for the next month. It's just going to happen. But comparing Haskins to Rosen is a really bad comparison. Rosen was never good in college. We liked him because he fit the prototype coming in. He was overdrafted. Haskins at least had an unbelievable senior year or junior year. Sorry. He was really good his last year in college. And last year he didn't show out, but his last three games, he actually played reasonably well. But that whole team was complete crap. So it's really hard to figure out if if it was Haskins or exactly what was going on about it. And we see John just dipped out. So I think he's good. <laughs> He disagrees. He doesn't like your comment. He yeah. just left he the podcast. He absolutely hates Dwayne Haskins. It is going to be fun, Mitch. We're running the show now. Yeah, so we'll be good now. But they're going to take Chase Young. Chase Young is the best player in this draft. And if they were smart, maybe they would trade back to Miami. This could be just a big smokescreen to get Miami to trade with them instead of to trade with Detroit one pick later. Maybe they just want more picks. And then Detroit will get Chase Young, and I'd be really happy about it. 
I like that Chase Young, and I, and I see where you're going, Mitch. I'll play devil's advocate and ask you this. What, you know, sometimes where there's smoke, there's fire, and the Tua rumors are going. If internally there, Coach Revere and his offensive staff does not think Dwayne Haskins is the guy, and they don't think Alex Smith is the guy, but they do love what they see in Tua, and Tua's medical staff saying, hey, this kid's going to be fine, take him. Do you pull an Arizona Cardinals get like they did get Kyler Murray and that organization's pretty happy and they're selling tickets and they got their quarterback in the future? Is that is that possible? If it was me, I would do it. I just don't see Dan Snyder ever admitting because he was the one that was pushing for Haskins so hard. He's the reason why he was drafted there in the first place. I don't see Dan Snyder ever saying I'm wrong. I think it's always someone else's fault, as you brought up before previously. Oh, hey, there he is. He's yeah, welcome back. back. The podcast. I just said, did I, were you guys still able to record through all this? Oh, we're carrying the show yeah, right really now. Our backs now. and shoulders we are sore. But we all got- right, that's fine because I, I just made a comment here. My laptop died. I literally was at a full charge here before the show. But this is why we don't typically do live shows. But moving forward, I have to be more prepared. And I, I, I said, I don't know. Did you guys hear me say this is why I'm able to edit things out? No, we were doing great without you, to be honest. All right, then keep yeah, going, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just going to shut up. Let me go on mute. We, we were just wrapping up the Haskins conversation. Mitch made some great points of Chase Young all the way. I played a little devil's advocate of, you know, hey, if if internally Revere and his staff says, he's not our guy. We don't like this guy. Uh, Alex Smith, he's not our guy long term. But our staff says, Tua, we do like him. Where there's smoke, there's fire. JB, do you, do you go in a different direction like the Arizona did with Kyler Murray? Man. See, and I've been, I've been asking myself this question. Josh Rosen kind of got a raw deal twice now in Arizona. No, 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 no. I'm not. He was he never going to. It's not a raw deal. He wasn't good to begin with. A pocket passer was never going to succeed in that offense ever. Now, a guy like Kyler Murray who can move and a guy like Deshaun Watson who runs behind that terrible line. Yeah, they had a chance to succeed. Josh Rosen, I, you throw Tom Brady over there in Arizona last year at any point in his career, he would have had a really tough time. What's and don't tell me he Miami have. then. What was that? What's the excuse Miami? Ryan Fitzgerald can be, or Ryan Fitzpatrick, sorry, could be that much better than Josh Rosen. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a legend. He is. He, he is, is a legend. Come on, man. He's a god on the field. But anyway, I bring up Josh Rosen because I also think that Dwayne Haskins, I mean, look at the weapons he had last year or lack thereof. He had Terry McLaurin, a 94-year-old running back in Adrian Peterson, a 97-year-old tight end in Vernon Davis. There weren't a lot of options there, guys. So I don't think they move on from Dwayne Haskins, or at least I don't think they draft Tua. I think this is a smokescreen. I do think Chase Young is the option. I think they have to go in that direction. This is It's smokescreen season. If I'm sitting there the second overall pick, I'm going to say whatever I think is going to get me the most value to move back. We talk about moving back in our dynasty drafts. I would probably do the same in the NFL draft if I could, if I could get a big payoff. But yeah, I I would be shocked. I do think Tua is a heck of a lot better than Dwayne Haskins, so I'm not saying he's not. But I think they stick with Dwayne Haskins here in 2020 and maybe bring in a lower price veteran. Like and that was my thought before too. So I think they stick with Dwayne Haskins, but still. Long-term value, I want nothing to do with Dwayne Haskins. All right. So, I again, I, I apologize losing connection here. I'm glad that you guys were able to keep it rolling. But, again, yeah, that's the magic is. of editing here. Ra- ratings went up when you were gone. I don't know what happened. You should have seen all the people that were on here. 
I, people were tweeting. They said, thank God JB's not on the show anymore. No, but me. okay. So that's Ron Rivera and Dwayne Haskins. We have one other video here and then one where we don't have a video, but this next video, I'm going to throw it up. It's Sean McVay talking about Tyler Higby. And then this, this is a situation where we're going to talk about, are we buying coach McVay's words here? Or are we fading Tyler Higby? So here we go. Take a look. And I think it was great for Tyler to be able to get the opportunities and then to be able to maximize that. And you could see as his production uh, continued to just show up week in and week out, especially towards, you know, I think it's not by coincidence that a lot of Jared's really good play coincided with when Tyler ended up playing really well, starting with the first Arizona game and, and then leading into those last five games. So uh, we got big plans for him. Uh, that's something that I thought it was great for him to be able to maximize those opportunities. And uh, we think he's got a very bright future. That is a ton of high praise. So in the previous clip with Coach Rivera talking about Dwayne Haskins, it was like, yeah, he shows up. He's kind of, he's there. But Sean McVay, he's talking about Tyler Higby in such a high regard. And he kind of correlated that to Jared Goff's success. It sounded like, okay, Higby played well, Goff played better. So Mitch, are you buying or selling the comments of the tight end 12, according to ADP, 27 year, years old, just got the contract extension. What are your thoughts here overall on Tyler Higby and McVeigh's comments? The funny thing is, if you ask me anything about McVeigh before I heard this, I've been like, don't believe a word that he says. He's the guy that was telling us Todd Gurley was completely healthy for the last two years and there wasn't an issue at all. But the one point that he brought up that I think makes this different is he talked about how Higby made Jared Goff better. So this wasn't just a, he's coming in, he's working hard, he's doing really well. He actually brought up the fact that Higby is making the quarterback play better. And I think that's huge. That's not just coach speak. That is actually, I think, a little bit of actionable advice there. So there's some things that we saw here in 2019 the offensive line, they weren't playing the way they did in 2018. The wide receivers, Brandon Cooks, he was a little banged up. And because of the decrease in the play from the offensive line, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, definitely lower average depth of target in 2019 compared to 2018. Do you think if they improve that offensive line, I don't know how they're going to do it because they have no cap space, they have no draft picks. But if they improve that offensive line, if guys get healthy, do you think that kind of hinders Higby's progression here? And Mitch, what are your thoughts there? Let's piggyback off of what you said before. No, sorry. I was just going to say pretty much what you already said. They don't have any cap room to bring anybody in. So it's going to have to be lower tiered rookies. And that offensive line just isn't going to be good moving forward. It's going to be a bottom 10 offensive line. And Jared Goff's going to have to figure it out without that elite offensive line that they had in 2018. And Tyler Higby is a really good safety valve for him there. Dan, what are your thoughts here? Buying or selling Sean McVay's comments on Tyler Higby, and are you okay investing in him at tight end twelve? I'm buying. You know, I'm I'm riding off the wave of last year. He, Higby helped me to second place finish in one of my dynasty leagues, so he definitely passed the eye test. I mean, I loved watching him all those weeks, and I was just waiting for the ride to end, and it never ended. He just kept racking up all those catches and a hundred yards. Um, you know, to your point of the O line, it is a concern, but to Mitch's point, it, he's a safety valve, and I, I think McVay is a very creative offensive coach. He's going to find a way to, you know, 
get the guys the football. You know, if he doesn't have time to get it deep to Brandon Cooks, he will have enough time to get it out to Higby. And this is coaches speak I'm going to buy. You know, when you're talking about big plans for him in a bright future, he, he has no reason to blow that smoke. Uh, so I'm buying. He passed the eye test, and there was just above and beyond praise. Uh, I think his Higby's in their plans. And, you know, if we were doing a startup right now and you couldn't get the big guys, the Kittles, the Kelseys early, I'd have no problem landing at Tyler Higby. Now, we do have one listener. I know he listens every week, and he's actually a Rams fan. So it's going to be very interesting after the fact when he listens to this, what his thoughts are. Because I know during, you know, immediately after the 2019 season ended, he told people in our league, he said, sell Higby. There's no way he's going to have the production. And it was kind of the concerns I expressed. You know, the offensive line, maybe they improve. They utilize their wide receiving core a little bit more. And Tyler Higby's, his production actually drops. But when we look at his numbers from 2019, he ranked ninth in terms of quarterback rating when targeted, 109. And I think when you have a quarterback rating like that, when you're targeted, I don't know about you guys, but that would build trust for me as a quarterback. Okay, you're producing. I'm doing well. I'm going to keep feeding you the ball, especially if it's a short average depth of target. 2.58 yards per route run. And I've talked about this. I wrote an article about it. That's a somewhat sticky statistic. And it can show future success. That ranked third among tight ends. And if you include wide receivers, it actually ranks sixth out of all tight ends and wide receivers. 14 red zone receptions. He is being targeted in the red zone, in the end zone. And those are the high value targets we're looking for for wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, everybody. This was interesting. He only ran a route on 45% of the passing plays in 2019, 45%. There is so much room for him to grow. And Mitch, I'm glad that you and I are co-owning a team in the one league because you talked to me to Tyler Higby, and I'm pretty sure he dropped like tight end 15 or so, and it was tight end premium. So I want to say thank you for pushing me in the right direction there. Don't, don't feed don't I feed mean, Mitch's head anymore. Come on, JB. I do I have well. to keep it balanced. I, I have to keep it balanced. I'm going to knock you down a few pegs eventually, but I'm going to talk you guys up every once in a while. I'll have to mess up first, but I wish you luck. I don't think we have to wait too long for that. So Tyler Higby, we're all buying. Tight end 12. We're, we're still we're okay with him there. Now, we don't have a video for this next one. Matthew Barry actually tweeted the video of this one, and I tweeted at him, hey, Matthew, can I have permission to use this? And I am shocked to my core that he didn't respond to my tweet. But anyway, we don't have the video for you guys, maybe next time. But Matt LaFleur on Aaron Jones, essentially in the press conference, he said that they might even think about bringing somebody else in because they talked about the, the question was, with how, how well Aaron Jones did in 2019, can we continue to see that? We all know what he did in 2019. Fantastic season, 19 touchdowns. Are we buying or selling, guys? And Dan, let's start with you. Are we buying or selling Matt LaFleur's comments on whether or not we can trust Aaron Jones as a high-end fantasy asset moving forward? His coach speak is coach speak that I'm taking with a grain of salt. To me, that was just your common sense. You know, uh, yeah, you need extra running backs in this league. They get banged up. I probably need a third running back. You know, every NFL team wants three running backs, and they want to have depth, and they want to be prepared for injuries. But I'm buying Aaron Jones, and I'm selling the coach speak. I'm also going to disagree with Matthew Barry. I did hear him this week break this down and express some concerns of, you know, Jamal Williams and want to see who that third running back is. Uh, but I, I think Jones has a chip on his shoulder, and I heard him 
you know, feel uh, snubbed when he wasn't uh, selected to the Pro Bowl. He made it some sort of comment along the lines of, I'm going to prove that I'm a Pro Bowl back. So, and he, he's another guy like Higby that just passes the eye test to me when I watch him. Again, being a Dallas fan, I watched him smoke my Cowboys. I mean, this guy could run. I've had the opportunity to coach running backs before, and I love watching Aaron Jones run. He could catch. You know, I think Jamal Williams will continue to spell him, and if when Jamal Williams gets injured again, that third running back that Coach LaFleur wants could help, uh, you know, give Aaron Jones a breather. But I'm, I'm buying Jones all the way. See, I'm pretty adamant about this, so I don't want to scream if anyone's wearing headphones, but just know that like Aaron Jones's price is built in at this point, knowing that he's not the bell cow running back. He was running back two last year. He's being drafted as running back nine right now. You're never going to get running back two price out of him, but you know he has that ceiling. So are you, are you buying it running back nine? Um, I'm completely okay buying him. After you bashed him throughout all of 2019? I did because I was wrong. And that's something that we got to learn going forward is past mistakes or past mistakes. No take lock here. No take lock. The price is built in at this point. It's the same thing we brought up for other running backs in the past. If he got all the work as Saquon Barkley, he would be ranked like Saquon Barkley be going in the first half of first rounds, you know, in startup drafts, but he's not because we have to worry about Jamal Williams, but that price is baked in. So don't, Bake it in again afterwards and be like, oh no, I'm going to take him as running back 15 now because of Jamal Williams. You have top five upside with Aaron Jones. Jamal Williams hasn't stayed healthy. Go out and buy Aaron Jones if you believe in him. And that's one of the, and we talk about this all the time, but Aaron Jones is certainly one of those running backs that his buy and sell values, they're not even close to each other. And I saw a poll on Twitter, 101 or Aaron Jones. The 101, it won in a landslide, but you talk about the production and what we can expect from Aaron Jones. Now there are some red flags. It's the last year was contract, but reports just came out that they possibly are negotiating and they wanted to maybe get something done here shortly on an extension. 36% of his PPR points came from touchdowns and we scream regression all the time. We're going to say it with Lamar Jackson throughout this whole off season, Aaron Jones, even if he regresses though, I still, I would be shocked to see him not get at least 10 touchdowns in 2020. And you see the way the Packers transitioned early in the season. They had a primetime game, and I can't remember who it was against, but they were inside the five-yard line, and they threw it. They threw it. They threw it. And I think they turned it over on fourth down eventually. But then moving forward, they pounded the ball into the end zone with Aaron Jones. And then we talk about injury history. I think that's still in people's minds. He didn't finish 2017. He didn't finish 2018. So I'm not saying that's right, but that definitely is in the back of people's minds. And it's baked into his price. We talk about running back nine. One thing that really throws me off. So he is going running back nine. He had the 19 touchdowns. He was heavily involved, especially in the passing game when Devontae Adams was injured. But then you look at guys like Chris Carson. Last year of his contract, some injury history, just like Aaron Jones. Some, yeah. Yeah, some, just some. But he's going what? He's going like running back 27 right now when you throw the rookies in. A huge discount. So I am okay with Aaron Jones at running back nine. If I have him, I'm not even trying to sell him because you're not even going to get close to the value you need. If they lock up a deal here, I'm going to raise him in my rankings. I'm not buying this coach speak. 
because even if we saw Jamal Williams get involved, Aaron Jones was still the guy inside the 10, inside the five, and you see the splits, and he was definitely much more productive when Adams and Williams were both out, but or either or, I guess. But even if they bring somebody else in, it's all about this extension. So once that extension hits, he's going to rise in my my rankings. If he doesn't get that extension, I'm definitely going to be very worried. So there's some red flags there, but overall, I I've been coming around on Aaron Jones just like you, Mitch. I will admit that I was wrong heading into the 2019 season. Dan, do you have any varying opinions here? No, like I said, I'm I'm on the Jones train. You, you both make great points on him there. You know, again, I'm always looking for those little nuggets of information I hear, and I, I just see a guy who's got a chip on his shoulder with a lot to prove, and, and he looks great on film. So I'm all Aaron Jones. All right, so guys, we walked through some of the combine results and how it's going to impact rookie ADP for better or worse. You know, we, we went through what, mentioned at least 15 guys almost here, and then talked about some of the coach speak. And that's something that we're going to focus on throughout the offseason because we talk about actual value and perceived value and perceived value while it actually isn't throwing anything in there in terms of production, it plays a big role here throughout the off season. We're going to see it in startups because perceived value, it really is going to change the overall value in the landscape here throughout the off season. So it's definitely something we want to keep an eye on and coach speak certainly is at the top of the, the board here. When you talk about things that are, changing values and guys i didn't have it in my show notes but do you have any closing thoughts here for the listeners dan let's well, start with you you know we just got through the combine and right now next up is twofold for us we're looking at pro days they're all going to be coming up you know any information we didn't get from the combine we're going to get in the upcoming weeks and then free agency march 12th what players get signed before you know as free agency hits you know i'm sweating my 99 percent Amari Cooper shares, hoping he comes back to Dallas. So we're going to have some interesting shows coming up. Can't wait. I cannot wait for free agency to start. And every year it seems like more and more things are happening during free agency. I might have to take a day off of work here just for the first day of free agency. (laughs) It's that exciting. I absolutely love it. I think I like free agency more than the draft, but they're definitely like one and, you know, one A and one B for me. Uh, Mitch, anything for the listeners here before we sign off? I was just going to mention we have a whole bunch of really good guests lined up in the next two months, so make sure you're tuning in. It's not going to just be S3. We're going to have some really good high-profile people coming in and helping us out with some thoughts. As you guys know, on Saturday, I went out, according to my Twitter feed, and you get a few beverages in you. You get brazen. You get brash. You you get excited. So I was reaching out to a lot of people, and People were actually, they were like, yeah, yeah, I'll come on as a guest. I was like, all right, that sounds good to me. So we're going to have a lot of people lined up here and it's going to be a lot of good insight and varying opinions. You know, Dan, Mitch, and myself, you guys, you hear our opinions on a weekly basis and it's going to be very interesting to have different viewpoints week in and week out. And honestly, I think we have enough guests lined up here maybe through June. So it's going to be a really exciting off season and a change of pace from what we had last year when people were just stuck with you and myself, Mitch. So definitely stay tuned as always. Thank you for joining us. Make sure to tune in every Monday at 9 PM Eastern, unless Mitch throws some things off here over on the mountain time. Uh, But yeah, tune in 9 PM Eastern for the live stream on our YouTube channel, dynasty theory, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at dynasty theory, FF. Have a great night.